Amen. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for that lovely warm welcome. Hey, it's great to see, see you properly now. Standing at the front's fine for the worship focus, but you can't see the people, so I can see you now. That's lovely. Uh, it's a while since I've been over here at Billingshurst, um, but I always love coming. Really enjoy it. When I'm blessed with a lovely morning like this, the drive is lovely over from Winchester. I enjoyed it. Just quickly to say, these two books... But won't, won't take too long on them, but that one, the green one, Foundations, is for new Christians or quite new, not absolutely brand new. It's about the foundations of the Christian life, and I certainly, and I mean this, do not have any problem going through this material again. I've obviously been over it with people one-to-one in my years as leading in Hastings, where, where I was the lead elder for longer than Winchester, actually, most of my life in Hastings, then Winchester for the last a uh, couple of decades, but I, I'm getting old now. So, um, but uh, honestly, I never tired of going over it. So, can I recommend that? And then this is new. This I, I wrote this uh, during the pandemic lockdown, and uh, there was a bit of a prophetic word over me from several separate sources about legacy, and several of the things mentioned were really resonated with me. And one of them was to record. Uh, basically, this is partly experience, partly teaching from leading and pastoring church but it's not just for the the lead pastor or whatever you call the person lead elder it's sort of for anybody who's involved in pastoring others in the church male or female it's not uh, just for the the elders but it is for the more mature christian who'll be leading and helping others so if i could give that to you rachel if you can put them on the pile out there just to say they're a lot cheaper there than they would be if you tried to buy them on amazon or even from my own website. So that's a little push for this morning. Okay, we're going to look into the Word of God, and we're going to, in a moment, be looking at something in John's Gospel, chapter 5. But just to get you geared up and thinking the right way, I, th- I sort of almost ask you to think about your life so far, and think of some of the major decisions you made, big choices, big steps you took, which you feel have had far-reaching consequences. I mean, it could be to get married. It could be choosing not to get married and maybe ending a relationship. It could be divorce. It could be about um, a job change. It could be a change of location when you move to delightful Billingshurst. Or it could be when you move from another nation to come to this nation. I'm sure all of us have got some pretty major things. I mean, maybe where you decided to go to study or when you decided to give in your notice on that particular job, or you took that job opportunity when it came up, etc., etc. None of us lack those big steps in our lives, I'm sure. But there is one step, honestly, and we're going to see that in the next 30 minutes, is one step that is more radical than any of those. And I hope you have all taken that step. It is possible some of you haven't, that's fine, and I'm just praying that by the end of this morning you do, because it will bless you and radically change your life. And that step is when you chose to put your faith in Jesus, when you chose to follow him. Perhaps some of you can actually remember when that was. Uh, some of us are a little vague. Mine is slightly vague in the sense that I committed my life to Jesus when I was quite young. I do actually remember very distinctly, probably as about 11 or 12-year-old, hearing someone preach on, on Jesus and saying, if Jesus came back, not something you hear so much today, but if Jesus came back, would you be 
going with him or would you be going to hell? And uh, feeling quite nervous and making sure that I got my ticket to heaven, which is not really what it's all about. But I did commit my life to Jesus and I believe my childish response, God responded to. But for me, uh, the next, I won't take too long on this, but the next few years were quite tumultuous. You go into your teens, you don't exactly start getting better and better. And so I questioned whether I was a Christian. I probably asked Jesus into my life about 150 times, and that probably isn't an exaggeration. In fact, it could be an understatement. Because every time I, I messed up in some way or something went wrong, I sort of went, thought, oh, I can't be a Christian. And I went back and prayed it again. Until in the end, I got something we're going to look at in a moment this morning, that my salvation didn't depend on me, it depended on Jesus and my faith in him, and how that is so fundamental. Quite soon after that, I, f I found God radically shook me up, that Jesus was my Lord and Saviour, and I was not to back off uh, and be embarrassed by him. I was by this time about 17, 18, and I remember I made much more of a significant move in school, as it was, I was doing my A-levels, uh, in, in sort of talking to people about it. Something happened around what I've just described, which put me on the front foot instead of the back foot. And then a few years later, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. So mine was a really dragged out process. It doesn't need to be like that. It, it should be <laughs> cleaner and quicker than that. But God's merciful, and I know that my salvation was dependent on Jesus. So I don't think that between, say, 11 and 18, if I'd been run over by a bus, I don't think Jesus would have said, you can't come into heaven, you haven't completed the process. He, he, I'd have been saved by him and his blood alone. Okay, this morning we're going to read a few verses, John 5, and we're going to start at verse 16, and uh, let, just listen with me, I'm reading from the NIV. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This isn't my main talk, but just notice that. Jesus does not leave you the option of saying he was a nice man, a good teacher, worth looking at and following this example. He claimed to be God as a man, the Son of God. They knew what he was claiming. They wanted to kill him. As C.S. Lewis, I think it was, said, he was either mad, bad, or God. He honestly doesn't leave you another option. He did say these things, and they knew what he was saying. Now, we've got to do our own business and realise, what do we believe about him? Mad, forget him, bad, bleh, Christianity, or God, my Lord and Saviour. I trust that's where you'll be. Okay, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can, only, he, he can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even the so, the Son, gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. 
Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That last verse, 24, is my sort of text for this morning. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. I want you to really hear that statement by Jesus this morning. And if you've put your faith in Jesus, I want your faith to be stirred. I want you to be awestruck. I want you to grow in confidence and assurance. And hallelujah, be saying hallelujah in your heart, if not with your voice, by the end of the next few minutes. Because I want you to get what a radical, amazing thing it is to be a Christian. What a radical step you took when you put your faith in Jesus. I also want, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you to go out of here walking on air because you've done it this morning. You've asked Jesus into your life. Now, I want to slightly tweak the NIV verse. That's NIV translation I read from. You could read in a couple of other translations, and they add the word already. And they do that just to give it a real punch which they're trying to reflect the original language had. So if I reread it with that word, you'll see what I mean. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has already crossed over from death to life. Already crossed over from death to life. As I say, you'll find that in a couple of other translations. So I'm making my own one up this morning because I like the NIV and many other ways it puts things. So the Christian is someone who has already crossed over from death to life. And we're going to take a few minutes just to look at that statement of Jesus and take three sort of points from it to get what he's really saying. So the first one is this. He said, already crossed over from death to life. Jesus specifically says that the one who puts faith in him, he specifically said in what we read, will not be judged. Does not come into judgment is the sort of literal translation. They are not going to be judged. The one who's put faith in him will not be judged. Christian, follower of Jesus, you will not be judged for your sins. You will not be judged. For you, the judgment is over. It's done. It's decided. The conclusion has come. The judge has issued his statement. And his statement is, you are justified through the blood of Jesus. Justified, what's that mean? Well, it's a nice, simple way of remembering. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. You are declared innocent righteous through the blood of Jesus. The judgment is finished. The judgment fell on Jesus, not you. You will not be judged. And in case some of you say, well, I know the Bible quite well, and there's something about, there is a bit about rewards, yeah. There's a little bit about, like, you can build with rubbish or you can build with gold, and you, when you stand before Jesus, you may be a bit embarrassed that it's, it's been a bit rubbish because you've just been self-centered. That is nothing to do with your eternal salvation. And honestly, 
Honestly, although it's a nice and interesting truth that needs time sometimes, it is not the fundamental issue that we need to be thinking about. Am I saved, is that question. Am I going to stand before a holy God and be declared innocent? Well, you can be by the living, by the blood of Jesus, by what he's done. Let's look at another verse that says something very similar. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now, look at the word now, (laughs) now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, that, that is a very common New Testament way of describing what it is to be a Christian. In fact, over 200 times in the New Testament, Christians are described like people who are in Christ, in Christ Jesus, in him. You pick it up all over the place. If you are in him, which you are by faith, you're in Christ Jesus, then there is no condemnation because the condemnation fell on him. So there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now there is no condemnation. You do not need to go around condemned for what you've done, for all the awful mess up you've made, all your griefs, all your sorrows, all your iniquities, all your transgressions, all your sins were laid on him. And he bore them in his body on the cross. And the judgment is finished. You're justified. Justified means declared innocent. It's a very precise term. We don't often hear it in normal life. It does happen occasionally, legally, even in our country. It's very rare. Sometimes people are in prison, uh, are, are, it's, they're released, and it says, you know, the, the, the evidence was weak, or, or there was, the, the, they're, they're not sure it doesn't stand up, and it's all sort of a bit like that. But there is occasional, a very rare occasions, they do happen, when it is absolutely proven that the person could not have done that crime, probably because they found with absolute certainty, someone else did that crime. So that person, and it has happened, is declared justified. In other words, it's not just that the evidence was shaky. We know they didn't do it. They're innocent. Now that is what happens when you put faith in Jesus. You are justified. Isn't that great? Declared righteous. Not because of what you've done, what Jesus has done. In Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus. Now, we need to just sort of get the solemnity side as, and the, as well as the excitement. Can you put up the next one? Because John 3, Jesus picked something up, which I want you to notice. Jesus is talking, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him, this is what we're on about, Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now here's the serious bit. You are already condemned. And before I put faith in Jesus, I was already condemned. The judgment, really, it's not like I'm waiting for the results, like the results of an exam, or I'll just see how I get on when I'll try and do as well as I can few good deeds to compensate for the bad things and and I hope that by the time I get to heaven I might have passed. It's nothing like that. Our sins have put a huge barrier between us and a holy God. You say sin, what do you mean? I mean things like selfishness, greed, lust, pride, envy. These things that we've all got in our hearts, sometimes they produce a really grotesque fruit 
like you can see in some of the worst excesses of evil. But actually the roots are in all of us of selfishness, pride, greed, lust, hatred, envy. And we all know we've lied plenty of times. We've, we've probably lusted plenty of times. We know we do these things. And if you think of them, they're like debts. If you think that, that our sins are like a pile of debts before a holy God, things that have got to be dealt with, they've got to be judged, they've got to be dealt with. We're already condemned. There's a great pile of sin there already, debt. Just you paying a few bob, a few pound every so often, doesn't get rid of that debt. To do a few good deeds is no compensation at all. It doesn't do it. You need the whole debt forgiven and removed someone has got to pay it for you because it's like millions of pounds you'll never pay it and the person who did was the sinless son of God Jesus you were condemned but he took your condemnation so there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus this is well-founded biblical truth this is the gospel this is how a holy God balanced his justice and his love he had to do it he is holy, he's awesome, he's righteous, but he loves us. So his own son bore our sins in his body on the tree. And you were already condemned. But that condemnation was put on Jesus. And Jesus came to remove it. So that you therefore do not have any condemnation. I think that's pretty good news, don't you? I think you can really go out walking on air if you understand it. Honestly. It's brilliant. The decision is already made. It's already happened. It's already happened. And in case you still, because it's pretty common, still have got this little thought, well, surely, um, you know, I can sort of compensate for a bit by working at it. I can, you know, I've tried to be much better as I've got older and more sensible and all the wild things I do. I, people say this sort of thing. Let me give you one more statement of Jesus to make it absolutely clear what the only answer is. Can you pop up again? John 6, this is Jesus again, 28 and 29. They asked him, as Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? Just hold that first sentence, because that is sort of that first question. It's what lots of people are. So, okay, you told us we're sinners, it calls the Holy God. What do we do? What, does, what work does God require of us to sort of compensate. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. <laughs> I mean, it's so simple, it's ridiculous. All I've got to do is put the verses up. Talk about money for rope. Oh, rope. But no, honestly, it's brilliant. It's wonderful. You just need to hear it. That's my job, to open your hearts and minds by God's grace and the Holy Spirit. Get it. The work is to believe. That is the work. Put your faith in Jesus. That's what you do. You say, well, that's not really work. No, it's not really work. You're right. But you've got to do it. Or it doesn't work. It doesn't work the other way, where you're just trying hard. And we decide this issue now. Now. Because the condemnation is there now, and the answer is here now. It's not going to be decided when you stand before God then it will already be decided by what you do now. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And now is when you can do this work. Not then. The work of faith in Jesus. So I pray you'll do that. And at the very end, what I say, I'm going to give an opportunity for just anybody this morning who hasn't ever done it, just to do it. 
Because I really, really, do you know, I would want every human being in this planet to hear this message. I mean it. From the highest to the lowest, from whatever race, background, it applies to everyone. They all need to hear the good news of the gospel. And I'm already got carried away. Let's go on to my second point. <laughs> the next one. Already crossed over from death to life. Becoming a Christian is not like changing your mind about something ordinary, like changing your political affiliation. Oh, when I first was young, I was this, now I'm this. I used to vote that, now I vote this. Mind you, you'd hardly know what to vote these days, would you? But, you know, and, and that is not like it. Or even, you know, I used to, you know, I, I used to be very anti that, now I quite like it. You know, whatever it is, it's nothing like that. It's far more radical. When you become a Christian, you cross over from death to life. Let's look at another verse, Colossians 1, verse 3, 13. For he, and the he is Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son. Sorry, he is God this time. He, God the Father, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Now, in some translations, it says transferred us, which is, again, a good punchy word. When you become a Christian... You are rescued from the dominion of darkness and you are transferred to the kingdom of light and love. It is a radical transfer. We were all born and brought up in what the Bible calls the dominion of darkness. It, it just is where Satan rules. It's the God of this world rules. It's because men and women, all of us are in rebellion against God and Satan has made the most of that. And he influences us. Not everything we do is driven by Satan, but we give him plenty of opportunities to even make worse what we've already messed up ourselves. And that happens in all sorts of levels. And we're in this dominion of darkness and Jesus came to rescue us and transfer us to the kingdom of God. So when you became a Christian, you have transferred kingdoms. You are no longer in the dominion of darkness. You have crossed over, if I can use the other words, into the kingdom of light and love, the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus explained this as being born again. He said, to, you, you know, you, you had to get into the kingdom of God. You need to be born again. So it's like you need a complete new start. I mean, it's, radical, it's a radical image. And it's more than an image. It happens, it's a different way of describing the same thing. It happens when the Holy Spirit comes into you and you are reborn from inside. Something new happens, new creation inside you. And you're now born into the kingdom of God. The you're a child of God. Here's what uh, John wrote in John 1. If you could pop it up, please. John 1, verses 12 to 13. Yet to all who did receive him, this is Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, not a human decision, husband's will, born of God. That's what happens when you put your faith in Jesus. You are born again. It is radical. It's more radical than anything else that could happen to you. You start on a whole new life, which will go on for eternity. Everything begins to change. It isn't all instant, but it begins from the inside out. And you will never be the same again. You can't be if you're truly born again. Something inside will begin to change you. You'll have plenty of battles, plenty of disappointments. It's not an instant process. But if you go with it, as the Holy Spirit continues to fill you and change you, you will change. And it starts when you're born again. It's not your work, it's his work, the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And it is a marvellous thing to be a Christian. It's wonderful. You crossed over from one kingdom to another, from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. That's pretty radical. It is yay. It's wonderful. It is wonderful. It's an absolutely as radical as that. Dominion of darkness, kingdom of light and love. The son he loves. It's a wonderful, wonderful message. And it's irreversible. Irreversible. You can't say, well, what happens if I mess up a bit? If you mess up a bit, you may have to sort yourself out with your relationship with God. You will never go back the other side. No, you won't. I have children. Many of you have children. Born of my, my wife and I. But, but you know, Our kids, our flesh and blood. And of course we love them. They are our children, as long as they're alive and I'm alive, you know, that relationship. When they were young, they didn't always do things that pleased me. They didn't always do the right thing. It might be surprised you, I think it was one or two occasions when they were slightly naughty out of, you know, the first 18 years. Very few indeed. Well, no, of course, that's rubbish. So there was, that was going on. There would be times when I would get pretty angry. I'm not necessarily proud of the angriness, and I could shout, um, uh, if they did something wrong, and it certainly disrupted the relationship between us. But I tell you now, it never stopped them being my child. And actually, and I mean this, and I'm sure all of you would agree with me, say they'd done something sort of very common, like hurt their brother or sister, punched them, or stolen something, or lied to me about they taken something and they hadn't, and I'm all cross with them. If out somehow out of that little drama one of them, and we're talking about them fairly young to help the illustration, one of them suddenly in their impatience or anger began to run towards a road, I would immediately look after them and keep them safe. I wouldn't go, well, you've been naughty. Who cares if you get run over? Not my child any longer. Go on, get yourself run over. I, I, of course not. There is a far deeper thing than the immediate relational problem of their, of their foolishness or sin. And that's what it's like when you're a child of God, when you're a Christian. Yes, if you mess up, you will not enjoy the smile of the Father like you can. You will involve some uncomfortableness often to get back. You need to repent and get back in good relationship with your heavenly Father. It's very simple. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. They're actually already paid for. You just need to cash in on the forgiveness and get back into the harmony with the Father who loves you. And that's important. But you do not stop being a child of God. If I do something that I shouldn't this morning, I don't know, I don't think this is going to happen, but for some reason I have a blazing row with Craig and I swear at him angrily, then I go out there and in my temper take the car out, smash and get killed. I tell you this, I believe I will go to be with Jesus. It doesn't depend on the fact that I've just, I, I think this is highly unlikely, but get the illustration, get the illustration, it can happen, can't it? get the illustration, because it's an important one. I do not go to heaven because I've just had a clean day and a good day and I've ticked all the right boxes and I've kept my nose clean today. My security's in Jesus Christ, okay? And what he's done, who I am. Now, if I don't have an accident, a smash up, I've got a lot of repenting and apologising to do. I've got to I've repent to God and get that right. I've probably got to be really apologetic to Craig. I may never come back here to preach again. I may even have my reputation within New Frontiers very severely sullied. There's all sorts of consequences, but one of them isn't that I lose my eternal life. 
in Christ. I mean, get it, because this is the truth of the gospel. Let's look, go to the last one. Already crossed over from death to life. Death to life. I mean, that is pretty dramatic. Is it merely a picture? Well, it's a picture, but it's more than a picture. Sin brings death. The wages of sin is death. First of all, spiritual death, cut off from God. Then the consequences were physical death. And then the consequences beyond the grave are you stand before a holy God and you experience the second death. Banished from his presence forever. Sin is all about death. And if you've got eyes to see it, you can even see it in the world around us. Where real soaking in any sin takes people is destructive. Any of them. Some are more obvious than others. But sin, given allowed to go and go and run, produces death. But you have been not only forgiven your sin, you are cleansed from your sin. You're cleansed from the consequences of your sin. You are uh, absolutely cleansed and made clean. And you, more than that, come into a realm of life. You, first of all, get eternal life. That is, something comes into you that will now go on forever. We'll get back to that as we finish in a minute. Eternal life. But you've come into a realm of life. God's the giver of life. He's the Father of life. Now, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life more abundantly. It is an absolute lie of the devil that real Christianity, following Jesus, is boring, dull, and deadly. It's absolute lie. If you're a half-baked Christian or a nominal Christian, you probably are boring and deadly. But to be honest, if you go for it with Jesus, if you go on following him, filled with the Spirit, if you keep walking in the Spirit, then letting the Holy Spirit fill you, one of the things he does is bring a joy. Sing and make melody in your heart. You know, you begin to learn how to handle people and live with people and love people and, 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 and you begin to understand what God's purposes are. You've got this whole lifetime's joy. And more and more, I'm reading books now in my 70s as a Christian for, goodness knows how long, 60 years. I'm reading books in my 70s that are giving me joy because I'm getting something for the first time, even this week. thought, yeah, I hadn't seen that quite as strongly before. That's great. And as a, a little... Wow! And I go out and have my walks, which have become a habit since the lockdown. And I'm often singing in the spirit. If there aren't too many people around, try and be sensible. Otherwise, good morning, hello. And so, you know, the, the Holy Spirit bubbles up in you with tongues. It's a gift of the Spirit. You can have it. Ask for it. We, uh, Jesus came to give us real life. So it's all about life. And it doesn't stop there. It's spiritual life. And then it goes on through eternity with him forever. Here's a very simple statement that probably most of you might have heard. John 3.16. Just pop it up. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish death but have eternal life. You have crossed over from death to life when you put your faith in Jesus. Here's another one, later in John's Gospel. Pop that one up. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he die. 
she, he, die, anyone, die. It's just the way it's written. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, let's just hear that. They will what? Live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. This is what Jesus said. How can that be? Because you've already crossed over from death to life. You are already in the realm of eternal life. You have that now. It started now. Eternal life, which is not only in length, its quality is beyond our understanding, has started for everyone who has put their faith in Jesus. So, what happens when you physically die if Jesus doesn't come back before then? Your body dies, the old tent, the Bible describes it as a tent, which is getting creaky and very threadbare for some of us, and the guy ropes aren't working so well, and there's quite a few leaks, more ways than one. And so, actually, actually, one day you'll leave that. You will depart to be with Christ. Now, these are biblical words. You will depart, Neil to be with Jesus. I'm not being a prophet, it will happen to me as well. But Neil won't die. Neil will be absent from his body and present with the Lord. You don't mind me using an example. Please don't treat it seriously in a worrying way. If you're a bit neurotic, it might not be helpful to you. But uh, I don't think you are. <laughs> Let's use me. I will be absent from my body, present with the Lord. Now, you say, well, where did you get that from? I get it from the Bible. Do you want, these are the last few verses we're going to read before we stop. Look at what 2 Corinthians 5, this is how Paul viewed his own death. Therefore, we are always confident, this is talking as Christians, and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul says, actually, I'd rather be dead. What? What sort of nutcase is he? But he doesn't actually want to be, he's not like suicidal or depressed. He's saying, I want to be with Jesus. And it really comes out in Philippians where he's tussling with the fact that he may be executed. And he actually wasn't on that occasion. But he's tussling, it was later occasion. He's tussling with it and he says, look, you know, it's not a big deal. I wouldn't mind dying. Let's look at Philippians. For me to live is Christ, so to die is gain. I am torn between the two. He says, I don't really know which is better. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. This is the Bible. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. That's what St. Augustine said. When the, where the Bible speaks, God speaks. Where the Bible speaks, God speaks. This is the word of God, not just Paul on a high. This is for you. This is true of you. Even to die is gain. And actually, it's better by far to have departed from the old tent and be with Christ. And then one day get a new tent, a new body. Now, that's why all through the Bible, particularly the New Testament where we are, living in the New Covenant, we can confidently say, I've already crossed over from death to life. Death has got no real hold on me. It's got no sting left. There'll be some unpleasant aspects, but the, it's no, there's no sting in it. 
because I'm already with Jesus, and whether I'm absent from the body or present from the Lord, I'm with Jesus. I'm in him, and he's in me, and so it just carries on without the body bit, confusing, and the body gets all creaky and groany, and it's a bit of a relief to carry on without it until he gives me a new one. So you, you, you go to be with Christ, who loved you and died for you. Is that not good news? That is the gospel. And we as Christians must be strong in this. You go out to work or school or college or whatever you do or home tomorrow, homemaking, looking up, whatever your job is, whatever the, you haven't got a job, whatever you do, you need to do it in the light of this truth. Honestly, it won't be easy. It won't, it won't mean that all the problems go away, but, but honestly, your approach to them will be very different. You go in there as someone who's already crossed over from death to life. I'm already in the kingdom of God. I bring the kingdom with me, actually, when I turn up. I bring the kingdom. You do. I bring a little savour of Jesus, a little sort of scent of Jesus into that room. Some people don't like it. Ooh, what's that smell? That's some holy thing. Yeah, fine, you have to put up with that. But some people will be attracted to it. Oh, that's nice. They, they, something different about them. Well, that's what you do. You bring a sort of aroma of Christ, as it says in the New Testament, wherever you go. To some, it's an aroma of life. To some, it's an aroma of death. It's not down to you. You just are what you are in Christ. Enjoying him, loving him, walking in the Spirit, and serving him. Now, as what I'm literally finishing, if you uh, have not yet made that step, if you haven't made that radical step and crossed over from death to life and already enjoyed the wonderful freedom it brings in so many ways, you can do that this morning. And I'm just going to use a little prayer that I think is a very good one, which I think it comes from J. John originally, doesn't matter who it comes from, but you can pray this prayer meaningly, meaningfully in your heart. And if you do, that will be the step that crosses you over. But it's the beginning of a journey. The but isn't a negative but, it's a serious, like sensible but. It's not like a ticket to heaven thing like I got when I was 11. It's much more than that. God wants to, he will receive you. You'll be saved. But God wants you to go on in the good of it and live the abundant life he's got for you in freedom and hope. So what you should do, and I would really ask you to do, is tell someone, if you've prayed that this morning, tell someone either came with or Craig or Neil or Russell, one of the leaders here, or somebody, any friend, good Christian friend, say, look, I did pray that. And they might help you out with the next stages. So let's, let's just close our eyes, all of us, and you could pray this prayer. It's a suggested prayer, so it's got to be your own words, really, but you can follow these pretty accurately and ask God to cross you over from death to life this morning and take you into his kingdom, and he will. Thank you, Father God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you're alive today. I admit that I have lived my life without you and have messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness 
and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and to your direction from now on. I receive you into my life and ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you prayed that and meant it, please talk to someone afterwards. God bless you. Over to you, Rachel.